Well, good morning. We continue our series, The Gospel According to John. We are in part four, which uh, actually takes place in chapter three. We're going to look at verses chap- uh, chapter three, verses one through 21. I am very excited about today. This is one of my favorite chapters in all of scripture. Uh, I think that it perfectly kind of explains the gospel and the process that we as Christians have to go through. And so it's important for us to dive into and really uh, take a look at it. Now, starting in chapter 3, verse 1, we're going to look at the first two verses. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, the reason we're stopping after those first two verses is because there's quite a bit to unpack in just those two verses. Okay, first, Nicodemus was one of the few Pharisees in Scripture who was actually kind of painted in a, a, uh, a positive light. Uh, and that was because he was a good man who understood uh, biblical, deep biblical truths and could at least see to a certain extent that Jesus wasn't like your average religious teacher type person. Um, He was also a member of the Sanhedrin, which was a group of 70 Jewish men whose responsibility was uh, to enforce Jewish religious law, but under the Roman rule was actually to enforce civil law as well. Now he attempts to flatter Jesus, um, and I think it's probably out of real respect for him by calling him rabbi and a teacher sent by God. But even though he kind of knew that Jesus was something special, he still in that greeting shows that he fully doesn't have a full uh, understanding of who Christ was, right? We see that Nicodemus uh, is just slightly confused, so to speak. Now, something that's interesting to note is that he comes to Jesus at night. That actually uh, is significant. The exact reason why we don't really know, but there are some uh, theories that kind of uh, help us look at what exactly is going on here. So first and foremost, night is not uh, a normal meeting time, especially in this day and age. Night has a lot of negative connotations to it, right? Light versus darkness, day versus night. Things that happen at night were typically uh, a shady business. And so why did Nicodemus come to Jesus at night? And there, there are a few theories out there. One of them is that he was just trying to avoid the crowds, right? Everywhere Jesus went, there were these immense crowds, and it was hard to have a conversation with this man and actually be able to sit down and talk with him and, and have a discourse and, and, and talk and listen and talk and listen and hear back and forth. It just didn't happen a lot. So maybe that's why. Um, it's possible that he was trying to avoid the prying eyes of other Pharisees and other members of the Sanhedrin. Didn't quite want us, them to see him going to Jesus, who was a controversial figure uh, already by this point. And so Uh, We don't know exactly why he went at night, but we do know that that is a significant um, part of this passage. Now, Nicodemus um, really was not wanting to give those Pharisees the wrong idea. But he also uses a word that I think is important when he says, we, we know, okay, we know that you are a good teacher. We know that you are a teacher sent by God. We meaning that there's somebody else, there's at least one other person in his standing, kind of in his group, who looks at Jesus as a good teacher, as a man sent by God. And so um, he kind of flatters Jesus, he introduces himself in such a way, and then Jesus kind of gets right down to business. He doesn't waste 
any time whatsoever. Maybe he knows he doesn't have that long on this earth and he just doesn't have time to waste. And so Jesus replies in verse three, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Seems like a fair question. Jesus says this. Nicodemus is like, wait, what? I'm already here. What do you mean born? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. At hearing Jesus make such a statement, Nicodemus is uh, confused. He's confused. I'm not quite sure what you mean by this. Surely we can't go back into our mother's womb. And he's, I know what he's thinking. I don't want that, right? You don't want that. We don't want that. So what do you mean, right? I'm an old man. I have a hard enough time getting out of bed. I don't know how I'm supposed to get back in there, right? Like you're going to have to explain yourself because that just doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Well, as always, words have power, and Jesus quickly explains it to him in a way that we wouldn't see, right? He says that you have to be born again. He uses the Greek word anothen, anothen. Why is that important? Because anothen can mean again, as in be born again. But anothen also can mean from above. You must be born from above. You must have your life changed from what's above, from God, from Christ, from the Spirit. Your life must be changed. You must experience a a newness, right? So this rebirth isn't reincarnation. It's not reincarnation. This rebirth is regeneration. It's regeneration, and that's a key understanding. It's not about being born again. It's about being at least born again from your mother's womb. It's about being born from above. We're then told that Jesus answered him in verse 5, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. No one can be born again unless they have been born of water and spirit. Now, what John has meant by water has long actually been up for debate. People have fought over this. Does he just mean physical birth, right? You know when a woman gives birth, her water breaks, right? You must be born of water. But I think, and you'll find a lot of theologians agree with me, that what he's really taking Nicodemus back to is the teaching of John the Baptist, the teaching of John the Baptist, He's, which we see in uh, Matthew 3, 6. It says, confessing their sins, they were baptized him by him in the Jordan River, right? Taking it back to this teaching that Nicodemus, a, a member of the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee, teacher of law, would have known quite well at this time. He would have been kind of in the know of this happening. It would have shown him the connection to confession, I'm going to read that again. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, meaning John the Baptist, right? So this confession piece is is what Jesus is taking Nicodemus back to. You must be born of confession and then experience a rebirth in the Spirit. That confession must take place first in order for regeneration to happen to you, okay? Repentance is a must, for one to enter the kingdom of heaven. Repentance, you might say, is a prerequisite for regeneration by the Spirit. Now, verse 6 that we just read, 
is for the uh, I was born this way cloud, the crowd, right? I'm going to read it again. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit, okay? Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to the spirit. You have a lot of people that say, when you say, hey, that's a sin, they'll say, I was born this way. Here's what I would tell you. Don't argue with them. I think they're 100% right. I think that they are 100% right. Each and every one of us was born with a predisposition to certain sin. Okay? I've been very open in the past about mine. Mine for my entire life has been lust. It's not a comfortable thing to stand up here and say uh, as a pastor, but for my entire life, I have struggled to see women not as objects of pleasure and fulfillment, but as the beautiful creation that God has intended them to be. This is me being as open and honest and as real as I can be with you. When I was three years old, my favorite show was Baywatch. I've said this before too. And it wasn't because I loved the ocean or sand. It was because C.J. Parker was on. And I knew C.J. Parker was attractive, right? And I could tell you what time it came on and what channel it came on, and I threw a fit if I didn't get to watch it. There was no instance that would have caused me to lean in such a way at three years old. There was nothing in my life that would point to and say, this young man should struggle with this at this age. It's a struggle I've had my entire life. But it's also a sin that I can sometimes suffer in silence and secret, and so you know, I can get away with it. We've done a really bad job as the church, and I'm talking about Big C Church, of really pigeonholing people in their sin and saying, hey, don't be gay. Don't get an abortion. Those are sins that you can see. Those are sins that are public. Those are sins that we know about. Shame on you. Meanwhile, I'm over here and I'm a habitual liar. Meanwhile, I'm over here and I'm in the secret of my own home and I'm in the safety of my own home, but I'm watching porn every single day, right? Or eh, I just like to steal things, little things. You know, maybe take a candy bar every now and then when I'm at the store or see if I can fit a t-shirt into my hoodie pocket. I can get away with those, and those sins are bad, but they're not these sins, right? But that's not what Scripture tells us. Scripture says the wages of sin is death. Not the wages of this sin is death, and if you can get away with this sin in secret, you're okay. The wages of all sin is death. People are born with predisposition to certain sins. Flesh burrs flesh. From a sinful womb comes a sinful babe. From the moment we cause our mother's pain in child-rearing, we are sinners. That's part of being a fallen creation. Now, there's that age of accountability, right? Your precious little sweet chubby baby isn't going to like be responsible for their sin until they get to a certain age where they can truly understand the ramifications of their actions. But sinners all the same. We all need Jesus, every single one of us. Every single one of us. Each one of us is born fallen into a fallen creation. 
And those sins that we struggle with sometimes define us, but they don't have to. They don't have to because Jesus makes one thing clear, that even though being born, even though you're born into a sin, it's not a reason to continue to live in that sin, right? Being born into sin is not a reason to continue to live in sin. We must be born again. We must be born of the Spirit. We must be born from above. The decision comes down to, and it's a decision that I still at times often fail when it comes to choosing the right thing. But the decision is, will we choose our sin or will we choose our Savior? That's the decision. Will we choose our sin or will we choose our Savior? I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that we won't struggle. But I'm saying that in our race, we must battle to keep running towards the love of the Father that is provided to us through Christ the Son. That is what must take place. Still confused in verse 9, Nicodemus asks, how can this be? How can this be? Jesus responds in verse 10, you're Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still, you people do not understand our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except for the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So Nicodemus' question is, how can we be reborn? I get that you're saying it needs to happen. I may even understand that you're saying we need to be born from above, but how can that process possibly take place? Jesus goes on to explain things of a heavenly nature. And he says, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness to inspire faith, to provide faith for the Israelites who were struggling to heed God's word, the Son of Man must be lifted up. The Son of Man must also be lifted up so that those who might have faith can experience exile from their sin, can experience salvation. He's pointing to the cross. You want to know how it's possible to experience regeneration? You want to know how it's possible to experience rebirth? It's through what the Son of Man will do on the cross. It's what he will do on the cross. That's how it's possible. Jesus starts by chastising Nicodemus in a way that I think is friendly, but also still he's kind of at a loss and he's concerned. You're the leading teacher of Israel. You're like the head guy and you don't know how to point people back to regeneration. You don't know how to, to help people find the forgiveness for their sins. What Jesus is saying here isn't new. It's been prophesied about. This is back in their old, 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 old books. If they were in the Sanhedrin, if they were in the Pharisees, they've read 
They know they should be looking for this Savior. But they were oblivious. They were oblivious. You don't know, Nicodemus, that God has the power through his sovereign grace to really change someone's heart. To really change someone's heart. To, at the very least, give them a stronger desire for the Lord than the desire that they have for their sin. God can do all things, and he's going to make it possible through what the Son of Man does on the cross. And then he really hits Nicodemus with a verse that we all love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, verse 16 is a beautiful summary of the gospel. It's the gospel in one sentence. And it's more powerful, in my opinion, if we view it in the context of these 21 verses. The key here is that this is not a gift to be earned, but to be given. And all we have to do is receive it. All we have to do is receive it. We have to choose our Savior over our sin. And goes on to tell us that it's Christ's hope that we will receive it. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That was Jesus's purpose, that everyone might experience salvation. What this verse doesn't say, what this verse doesn't say is that God, didn't, God won't condemn, right? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that condemnation is not a possibility. It doesn't say that Christ is only love. It doesn't say that. Jesus himself never says that, ever. It just says that that's not his purpose. That's not his why. That's not his goal. His goal is that we experience salvation, that we be saved through him. As one theologian put it, even though light casts shadow, its purpose is to illuminate. We will all stand in the light and the shadows within us will be revealed. But the purpose of light is not to create a shadow. It's to provide light. Christ's purpose and God's desire is that everyone might be saved through him. He takes no delight in the condemnation of any person. Ezekiel 18.23, Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? See, the first is a rhetorical question. It doesn't require an answer because God saying, I am Yahweh, I am who I am. You should know my character. I take no joy. I take no joy in condemning anyone. That's not my goal. Do you remember how I set up the garden with Adam and Eve? Do you remember how I provided everything that they needed? How I walked with them? How I lived with them? How we had fellowship? How I loved them? Those morons had one rule. Don't eat the fruit. And they ate the fruit. And if you have children, you know what that's like. Don't stick your finger in the socket. Okay. It's like, brilliant. Great job. Now we can't have sockets anymore. No electricity. It's gone. That's really what happened in the garden. Christ doesn't want to condemn you. God doesn't want to condemn you. They don't want to condemn anyone, but they will. 
Just because Christ didn't condemn man doesn't mean that he won't. As verse 18 puts it, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Here's what I told you last week. This is what the scripture tells you all the time. The wages of sin is death. But here's the thing. For those who place their faith in Christ, they aren't paying that debt. They are not paying that debt. It's already been paid. It's already been paid. It'd be like going into the bank and all you have to do to own your home outright is just put your signature down. Right? Hey, your mortgage has been taken care of. Just sign here. Come again? <laughs> right? That's what's happening with Jesus. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Verse 19. Christ finished with this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. This is the thing that we struggle to understand about all people. We don't like it. We don't like it. We have so many people in our lives that we love so deeply that we just can't see them as evil beings. We hold our baby. We can't see them as an evil being until they won't stop crying. And then we're pretty sure they are of Satan, right? <laughs> then you're like, yeah, I see it now. But our grandparents, our parents, our children, our loved ones, our friends, coworkers, a lot of us know a lot of really, really good people. Some of the best people I know, some of the people that I know that are the most generous, the most kind, the most giving, have never stepped foot into a church. That's a problem, by the way. That's for another day. Some of the best people I know have never stepped foot into a church. We struggle to see people as sinful creatures, as evil. But that is what we are. That's what you are. It's definitely what I am. We are evil creatures. And that hurts. And that may be confusing. But change is possible. Change is absolutely possible. There's no condemnation for those that place their faith in Christ. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives in truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. I'm going to add one more thing. Those who are truly chasing after Christ, those who are truly trying to follow the way, 
will go into the light to have their darkness exposed. They will go into the light to have their darkness exposed so that they may cleanse themselves of that darkness. It's uncomfortable truth. I don't like it either. I would just love for everyone to try their best and be forgiven. If you're asking me what I would want to happen, that's it. Try your best, be forgiven. But Scripture tells us that that's just not the way. Jesus' own words tell us that that's not the way. So I think that I have a responsibility, and I think that you have a responsibility to point people to the way, to show people the truth, and to back up what you say by Scripture. This isn't my opinion. This is what the Word of God says. You may not like it. I don't like it either. That's one of the painful parts about knowing the truth, is that it's the truth regardless of how it makes you feel. We have to be beacons of truth in a world that is choosing darkness over light. That's our responsibility. I hope that you will join me in trying to be that type of beacon for the world around you. That you will join me in walking into the light so that your darkness will be exposed so that you can hopefully eradicate yourself of it. That you will join me in being a person who shows the world grace and not judgment. Because that's God's job. I didn't know if you knew that or not. But judgment is God's job. Our job is to be gracious. Our job is to love them like Jesus loved them. And yes, part of that is pointing out sin when we see it. But a bigger part of that is sitting down at a table with them and breaking bread. Of telling those hypocritical believers who are sinning all throughout the week that want to cast the first stone at them to cross the line if they're without sin. Be gracious, but be bold. Be kind, but be truthful. If we believe what we say we believe, then God is on our side and the truth is on our side. And I'll take that every day of the week, even when I don't like it. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now today and I thank you for your word. I thank you that you sent Jesus to be the light of the world and that that light shines so brightly in the lives of so many here at Crosspoint and around the world. God, may we remember that we are all sinners and that all sin has an equal punishment. And that to even think that one sin is better than another is foolish and childish and selfish. God, give us a heart for people like Jesus had for people. Help us to be truthful. Help us to be honest. But in doing so, God, help us to ensure that we are gracious and kind. We know that the world will not always agree with us. We know that. Because light has come into the world and the world has chosen darkness. 
And even for those of us that are choosing light, we still have to battle the darkness that's within us. Help us to be honest and open and authentic and real. To talk about our sin struggles and the ways that we come up short. Give us a heart, not for being liked, not for being in our comfort zone, but for leading people to Jesus, whatever that might take. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Some of you out there may not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You may not. I'm here to tell you today that you're a sinner. Guess what? So am I. The wages of that sin is death. But we're told that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, His Son. The difference between me and any person who's not a Christian is Christ. That's it. I know that He's changed my life, and I know that He can change yours. So if you're in here this morning or you're watching online, you can message me if you're watching online. If you're in here this morning, come see me today and let's talk about what it looks like to give our heart and our life to Christ. It is the best decision you'll ever make. I believe that, hands down. I truly do. Some of you have already done that. But maybe you've been living in darkness for a while. Maybe you're trying to pull yourself back to the light. And, and really, I'm telling you, all you really just need to do is turn around. Just turn around. But if you need to talk about what it would mean to rededicate your life to Christ, we can talk about that as well. If you need to pray this morning, we're going to have some folks up around the room. Allie, are you feeling up to it? I'm going to have Allie back here under this television. I'll be straight in the back. Uh, Rodney, can I have you over here under this TV? Um, you need to come pray. You've got three options. Come pray with one of us. We want to pray for you. Whatever's going on, there's no burden too big or too small for Jesus. There's no burden too big or too small for God. They want to hear you. They want you to call on them. They want to be a part of your life. So come pray with us, please. Otherwise, now is a time to stand and worship God for what he's done and to meditate on and really think about what it is that he's done for you in your life. Let's do that now.